Turn in your Bibles with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 4, as we continue to look at the epistle of Paul to the Galatians. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. I would ask that you join me, if you're able, to turn it by turning in your Bibles, and let us read together the Word of God. Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come now asking that your word and its truth would pierce our heart, would renew our mind, would strengthen us, that we would be encouraged by what we have heard this morning through your word, and that we will hear through your preached word. Guide us, open our eyes and our hearts, that we may hear your word, that your spirit would strengthen us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Blinded by a quack. That's the headline uh, for an article written about Fanny Crosby. Some of you may know Fanny Crosby or know of Fanny Crosby. A great hymn writer, um, has written well over 9,000 hymns, uh, been involved in poetry uh, about our Lord and about God, about her faith. And some of these may be familiar hymns to you. Titles such as, To God Be the Glory, Blessed Assurance, I Am Thine, O Lord, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, Saved by Grace. When she was two months old, Fanny Crosby fell ill. Her regular doctor was out of town, and a man pretending to be a doctor prescribed for her mother a hot mustard poultice. For her eyes. But rather than healing her, it blinded her for life. Maybe you knew this about Fanny Crosby, maybe you did not. But she wrote her hymns as one who was blind. You would think that she would grow up being resentful or maybe even angry with God about this. You would Maybe think that she would consider herself disabled and maybe even unloved by God. Maybe walking around feeling sorry for herself or thinking less of herself. But she did not, did she? She actually became one of the most prolific hymn writers in the life of the church. As Christians, do we have a good understanding of the blessings that surround us even today? In times such as social distancing and the coronavirus, 
the way that our lives have been affected, do we truly grasp what it means that we are a people who are being saved by a holy God? You see, I think we have a misconception sometimes when we think about the word salvation. We think of it mostly in terms of past tense. I have been saved. We even use it in, in uh, that manner, that we have been saved, and as if it's only in the past. But see, what's actually happening for the Christian is that we are being saved. Actually, something that will come at a later date. The fruition is not yet realized for the Christian. So the Christian then is forced to have a mindset of a future life to come. Always looking forward, looking forward to the resurrection, looking forward to life eternal, looking forward to being saved. Yet, we still live in this world with a feeling of anticipation. I think of anticipation. I think of uh, the anticipation that I would often have on Christmas Eve as a child, looking forward to that very day in which we would wake up and open up gifts and presents. Somehow that made us feel loved and appreciated. Somehow, getting up on Christmas morning, we were just filled with joy and excitement. But more than the joy and excitement of that very moment was the anticipation of the night, the evening before. And in our family, it was a tradition that we would read, uh, that we would read uh, scripture, that we would read maybe a story of Christmas, and then we would open up one gift to maybe curb some of that anticipation. That we may get a little rest before the morning came. You see, in this passage, this is the very same anticipation that Paul is speaking about. It's the same anticipation that I would argue Fanny Crosby had in her own writing, in the hymns that she wrote, in her understanding of Scripture and of her God. And Paul speaks to that right out of the chute in chapter 4 here, in verse 1. He speaks of it in terms of an heir, one who is going to inherit the family goods, the family's wealth, whatever is left behind, whatever the father has done to build up this family was now going to leave this inheritance to the child. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of of everything. Let's look at that for just a moment. What is Paul saying? Uh, well, he's saying this that a child who has been given the promise of inheritance, as long as they have to wait for that inheritance, even though it's theirs, even though they own it, they're no different than a slave. And he goes on in verse 2 to say, but he is under guardians, managers, until the date set by his father. So here's this illustration by Paul, if you will, of one who is going to inherit the family wealth. Yet it's not to be given to them until the father determines it. 
a date set by the Father. The Father still has the authority. The Father still being alive determines when the child will receive this. And meanwhile, the child then is under guardians and managers, not even able to care for their own self, their own time, to manage their own day. Yet, the inheritance will be theirs. They must wait upon it. So Paul is using this illustration in the terms of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. That at one point, under the law, as we read in chapter 3, we were waiting for Christ Jesus to be revealed so that we may know that inheritance. Paul is using this to show this is how God operated in the world until Christ came to bring salvation for his people. But what's interesting about this is not that at that time were we just children waiting for Jesus Christ, but we were, Paul says, no different from a slave, a doulos, one who is under and belonging to another. We belonged to something or someone other than Christ Jesus, other than God the Father. That's why this inheritance and this child waiting for the inheritance illustration is so apropos. We'll see more about that as we go forward. It's very hard for us to understand this idea of slave, doulos, and why would Paul use this uh, if I'm a child and I'm a part of the family, yet I'm not yet in the time has not yet come for me to receive my inheritance, then why is the idea of a slave then entertained? Why is Paul saying that if you are a child waiting on your inheritance is as if you are a slave. You're no different than a slave. Well, it's because in verse 2 he says you are under these guardians and managers. You belong to someone else. In verse 3 he goes on to say, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. He basically explains here more about the Christian faith, what it is that we were under. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We were children. We didn't know any better. We didn't know the full revelation of God that Jesus Christ was the one who would bring salvation and to restore the relationship that was broken in the fall. You see, Paul here is basically saying that because of the fall of man in Genesis 3, because of sin, that all of mankind was a slave to these elementary principles of the world. We thought that's how things operated. We thought that's how the world worked. We didn't know any better until the Father showed us. And he did so through his son, Jesus Christ. 
our eyes were closed, our hearts were darkened to the light that would come in Jesus the Christ. And when this happened, everything then changed for those who believe in him. And this is the part that I want us to look at this morning. What does change when we kind of realize that these elementary principles of the world are not where we are to have our faith, and when our faith then is moved into Jesus Christ, and our belief is on him, what happens? What does salvation actually look like? What does it mean that we are saved in this life, waiting to be saved from eternal death, from the result of sin? We will one day be saved and live life eternal. What does that look like? Well, let me give you three principles today. And I want to say that they are um, all beginning with the letter A to keep them uh, in our mind and in our heart. And I pray that it would uh, be helpful for you as it was for me to kind of put these together. The first thing that it means for us is that we have been acquitted. We have been acquitted. You see, our relationship with God changed in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of Adam, our head. You see, Adam and Eve were walking and communing with God in the garden. They talked with him. They walked with him. They had conversations with him. And that all changed when they ate of the forbidden tree. And when they ate of the forbidden tree... Sin entered the world and damaged that relationship. And it's that damaged relationship that, that has God then um, doing something to restore the relationship he had with mankind. You see, when Adam fell from a, a, a state of being able to be in the presence of God, then he was cast out, removed from that presence. The damage was done. Sin had entered, and God could not abide with the sinner. God, a holy God, could not be in the presence of sin, and so therefore Adam was cast out. The relationship then was broken. And there's only one thing that God must do then, which is to restore that relationship. And to do so, in a forensic sense, there had to be redemption. In this idea of covenant relationship, in which the bond is broken because one is disobedient, there must be a penalty to be paid. There must be a price. And this price then was Jesus Christ. That's what Paul goes on to say. That's what he said in chapter 3. If we go back to chapter 3, remember in verse 13, then he says that Christ then redeemed us 
from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. A great reminder that there is a redemption that comes from Jesus Christ, a purchase, a buying back, if you will. God sent his son, born of woman, in verse 4, chapter 4, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, Paul says. The whole point here is that Jesus Christ came to redeem those under the law. These children that he mentioned earlier, waiting for their inheritance. Not knowing that Jesus Christ was the means by which God would restore the relationship. But now having that revealed in Jesus Christ, Paul is spending all of his time focusing on this because it's extremely important for us to understand in this life that what must happen to restore a relationship is redemption and that redemption is done through the work of Jesus Christ. When the fullness of time had come, he says God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, to redeem you and I, believer in Jesus Christ. It shows us that God did desire a relationship that we read about in the Garden of Eden. And that when that relationship was uh, destroyed, God wanted to restore that relationship for and with his people. How awesome is it that God wanted you? Many of us may not really grasp this fully. Let me just remind you this morning that what we learn from the story of redemption is that God desires a relationship with you. And that in order to meet and restore that relationship, to meet the need, to bring about that restoration, his own requirements, he would need to send his only son, Jesus Christ, so that you may know Redemption comes through the work of Christ. God wanted you. Brother and sister, be encouraged today that this idea of redemption means that God wanted you. You know, I think Fanny Crosby actually captures it best in her hymn, Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It. There are three verses here. I'll read them. It says in verse 1, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. We have been acquitted, brothers and sisters. And when Jesus Christ returns, we will ultimately understand what this means and see what this means. Because, as I've mentioned before, we, we are in 
a restored relationship with Jesus Christ through the work of our Lord. We are restored to God. That relationship uh, that was damaged is brought back and made right. And we are declared righteous by the work of Christ being imputed to us. We are acquitted. How encouraging is that this morning to be reminded that we are redeemed. That being a Christian in this life means that we have been acquitted before God the Father. But not only does it mean that we are acquitted, but what I really like about Fanny Crosby's hymn here is there's a, a good correlation and a, and a direct correlation between this redemption and what it brings about, and that is this, that we are now a child of God forever and ever. Being a Christian means that we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. We've been acquitted in the eyes of God. But secondly, it means that we have been adopted. In the ancient Near East, this idea of adoption is a little bit different than what we experience today, but not much. When we say adoption, I think we fully understand, most of us, what it means, whether we've experienced it or not. It's essentially this bringing someone into the family who otherwise would not have a family, would not have that status. It's a, it's a change in status, one who wasn't a part of the family, now brought into the family. You see, the purpose of this adoption was so that we may inherit what God is offering. That the Father may give to the Son's their inheritance, which is Christ Jesus. Paul says in chapter 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, God's redemption, the work of Christ was so that we might receive adoption as sons. Well, adoption in the United States or in America and among the church today is very popular. It's often understood by many Christians as a solution to the problem of abortion that we have in America, and it's to be commended, I think, for those who uh, take time and energy and, and monies and resources uh, to adopt children uh, who otherwise might not have an opportunity to even live. And I think this idea that's sweeping across our nation, across our churches, is to be encouraged because it is a reminder to us of what God has done on our behalf to remove us from this state of sin and misery and into a right relationship with Him and then calls us sons that we may inherit eternal life, that we may inherit the promise given to Abraham. Many of us have read books or seen a movie, or maybe we know personally a story of someone uh, who uh, has been adopted or was looking to be adopted. And I'm, I'm reminded of those stories in which you always see uh, the one who isn't yet adopted or has not um, been adopted by anyone, there, there's a struggle, there's an inner turmoil, there's a sadness that takes place. And that's because there's a longing 
within them, typically. There's a longing within them not to belong to a family, necessarily. That, that is a part of it. But what's really at the heart of the issue is a desire to be loved. And at the end of the day, isn't that our desire as well? To be loved. All men desire to be loved. There are children looking for a father. The results of the fall is that that damaged relationship has us longing for restoration, longing for adoption. See here, Paul reminds us that we have been adopted as sons to God the Father. The Westminster Confession of Faith reminds us that adoption includes uh, God giving us his name, that his name was placed upon us, a receiving of the spirit of adoption, an access to the throne of grace with boldness, as we read in Hebrews, and an ability to cry, as Paul points out, Abba, Father. It means that our relationship has been restored, and not only restored, but transformed. Rather than only seeing God as a holy and unreachable being, one to be feared, he is a relatable God. No other religion in the world offers a God who wants a relationship with you. The God of the Bible is a God who is restoring all things so that he again may walk in the garden and commune with his people, with you and I. Why? So that he may be glorified in all of this work. So as Christians, by faith in Jesus Christ, you have been redeemed, acquitted, and you have been adopted. Acquitted and adopted. And there's one other thing I want us to see in this passage. It also means that we have been actualized. Actualized. Actualized here in the sense that we have uh, a realization put in action. An action has been realized and can be realized. You see, this work of God is something very real. It's not something that's um, only spiritual and, and only felt every once in a while uh, and that may be uh, very nebulous to us, something uh, misunderstood, very well could be. But in reality, what happens when we become a Christian, when we are chosen by God and his name is placed upon us and we are acquitted and adopted, is there's something real that happens, and it's this, that the Spirit of Christ now is placed in our heart. It's something that actually happens to us now. You see, there is a not yet aspect of salvation. We do wait for Christ to come and to take us home. But also in this world, as we wait for that glorious day, we can realize the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. Paul says in verse 6, and because you are sons, because of this adoption, then, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, 
Christ's Spirit in us cries on our behalf so that we may be heard by God the Father. See, this is the adoption piece. That it's not us crying, Abba, Father, but the Spirit of Christ for us. And if, if God won't listen to His only Son whom He sent, He's definitely not going to listen to me. But the good news this morning is that He does hear His Son, Jesus Christ. He does hear us cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. And the relationship is restored. And then if you have your faith in Jesus Christ who, who has done all this work on your behalf, then the spirit of that Jesus has been given to you. Not only that you may believe, but that you might cry to him. And when you cry to him, the response is not silence or absence. No, the response is a building up of your faith, is encouragement. It usually comes in the form of his word, his scripture. And you see the whole relationship changes just in these very words. One who's not adopted cannot cry out, Abba, Father. One who isn't in line for the inheritance can't cry out, Abba, Father. No, only one who has been redeemed who's been acquitted, who's been adopted into the family, can now cry out, Abba, Father, and be heard. And in verse 7, he ends, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This actualization of the Spirit of Christ in us gives us the ability to not only know, to believe, but to understand what it means to be adopted, what it means to be saved. This is not in any way related to self-actualization. Let me just give a warning here. Self-actualization is something in which uh, I make something happen within myself. And we'll see this more next week. No, this salvation, this, this adoption, this acquittal comes from God. And we are just simply made aware. This whole passage is about uh, we as Christians becoming aware of what God has done on our behalf. We'll go back to Fanny Crosby for a second. Fanny Crosby uh, once was approached by a well-intended Scotch minister. And he said to her, I think it is a great pity that the master, when he showed so many gifts upon you, that he did not give you sight. And she quickly rebuked him. And she said, Do you know that if I had been able to make one petition to my Creator, it would be that I should be born blind? And he responded, Why? And she said, because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Brothers and sisters, that's actualization. That is the spirit of Jesus Christ given to a lady, giving her the ability to hold a different 
and thankful perspective on her life now because of what she knows will be. That she will be saved. That she will see her Lord and Savior Jesus Christ while on earth she does not see. This does not come from a sinful, selfish heart, something that she has done on her own. No, it only comes from the Spirit of Jesus Christ given to her, living within her heart, so that she may know the truth. This is adoption actualized. In a a spiritual sense, then, we too are heirs, like children, awaiting our full inheritance in salvation. Yes, Christ has come. Salvation has been given and offered to those who may believe. God has saved and is saving those who are called by his name. Yet, at the same time, we await that glorious return and for our full salvation, our full inheritance, eternal life yet to come. These verses, though, should be encouraging to us as we wait on Jesus Christ and that return. They are given to the Galatians who had returned from the gospel that they had originally heard from the Apostle Paul. They had turned from placing their faith in Jesus and putting it in someone or something else. They had become impatient as they waited on Jesus Christ to save them. And Paul is reminding them of the benefits of being called by God's name. And when we become Christians, we must live in this life as we wait that glorious end, that glorious return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you're like me today, you're waiting. (laughs) And you're calling upon the name of the Lord. You're crying out, Abba, Father. And you're hoping that tomorrow's the day, in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of whatever it is that I'm going dealing with in my life, whatever's going on in my life, I'm praying that tomorrow will be the day so that I don't have to put up with all the stuff that I'm going through. But it may not be tomorrow. It may not even be the next day. And that's okay because that just means God has more for us to do in this life. Don't look to the future and neglect this life. Rather be encouraged. And I want to encourage you these ways as, as I close out. As we look at this passage, we should be encouraged by these reminders. Be encouraged by being adopted. By being adopted, we have assurance of our salvation. By being adopted, it means that I know that a little bit of what I taste now. I know that the Spirit of Christ in my heart giving me the ability to love the things that God loves, giving me the ability to understand God's words, giving me the desire after God. That that is a taste of the glory to come. That is how I know that I am a Christian. That is how I know that I am saved. Now ultimately, I await completed salvation but now just a little taste gives me hope you see by being adopted also we know we will not be abandoned by God we live in a life full of abandonment 
We live in a life where adoption is almost necessary. Or folks will grow up without parents, without homes, without siblings. We'll be out on the streets or be slaughtered at birth. By being adopted, though, as Christians, we know we have not and will not be abandoned by God. And by being adopted, we know we are part of a family through faith. We know that we are not alone. We we know that there are other believers called by his name and those called by his name that are better Christians than I more obedient than I, those folks are the ones that I can look at and say, you know this, there is salvation. There is a God. Be encouraged by our brothers and sisters. Be encouragers of one another as we are all a part of God's family if we have faith in him and call upon his name. What a great reminder it is by Fanny Crosby. We look not only at her life, but her writings. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus. No language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Be encouraged, O child of God. One who has been acquitted, adopted, and actualized by the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling in you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I pray. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your encouragement and your reminder that we are children of God, not by our own making, by anything we have done, but because you, O Lord, have loved us and sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die cross for our sin and lord if there are any of those that are listening today that are not sure that they've been adopted may they have faith given to them may you send your holy spirit the spirit of our lord and savior jesus christ into their heart that they may know you and call upon your name lord if there are those that need to turn to you today and cry abba father i pray that you would hear them that you would put your name on their heart. Lord, I pray that you would encourage those that are discouraged. As we await your glorious return, encourage us all, O Lord, that we may have faith in you until the end. Keep us secure, O Lord, and we may rest in you now and forevermore. Amen. Now receive the benediction of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as given in the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen.